Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers and increasingly I add the word and e-commerce sellers because it's suddenly uh, time to really consider, when I say suddenly, it's getting more and more time every day, every month to consider whether you want to be solely on Amazon because I think it's a bit getting a bit to that point where the, the frog who's in the boiling water doesn't realise it's boiling until it really starts heating up very quickly and that is happening for some of us here. Fortunately, we have an expert here to help us, Matt Edmondson, who's uh, a fellow Brit that makes a nice change, uh, a very, very good builder of direct to commerce uh, direct to consumer sites, but also had the experience of selling not on Amazon but to Amazon, which is kind of really quite a quite a ride, isn't it? We'll talk about that. But Matt, first of all, warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me, Michael. Excited to be here uh, talking to a fellow Brit. It's unusual, actually. Uh, it in is the podcast world. It is, and I think there is a slight difference in style, which is fine. It's good to have a variety of opinions and, and approaches. Where are you coming to us from? Since we mentioned geography. Uh, I'm actually in Liverpool. Very, very sunny Liverpool right now. Yeah, which is not a common thing. I have to say my experience <laughs> up there. I lived <laughs> in Manchester for a year. That's the closest I've got. But uh, yeah, sunshine is on the west coast of the UK or the of Great Britain, I should say specifically, is an unusual thing. So Americans listening, we're, we're not always rainy, just just mostly. But <laughs> makes a nice change to get outside of the London bubble as well. So, so two bubbles we're outside of today. So what we're going to talk about is basically the question, how do I build my indirect consumer site? So you mentioned before we, we talked to the podcast, why it's important but can you just reiterate for that for me I, I think that's really important that we think about why we make the effort because it is going to be effort isn't it yeah it is I, and anything worthwhile is going to take effort right there's there's nothing which is really that easy anymore but no we were saying that i think for me whether you're on amazon or ebay or wherever you sell if you sell on a third-party website you should definitely have a direct-to-consumer website you know the d2c as we like to call it and the reason i think that is because you own that website you own the domain name you own the website you own the code probably you own the database you own the products that are going on there and it doesn't matter in some respects whether amazon and you fall out overnight on your own D2C website. You've still got it. It's still trading. It's still up and running. And I think so often we we build these businesses which do really well on platforms which we don't own and we don't control. And those platforms don't exist to make you money. I just, you know, let's just be real. They're not there to make your business a success. I think they could care less about it. They're there to make themselves successful and they're going to make decisions based on what makes them even more successful and that quite often will railroad it will quite often destroy maybe it will you know it, it, it has impacts on your business doesn't it when you you run these third party websites so for me the direct consumer is the thing to focus on it's the thing to grow for longevity yeah, longevity is a good word to end on, I think, as well, because I think a lot of us kind of guiltily, and I, I've certainly been in that position, I'm still at a degree, that, that we feel on the one hand, it's not smart to have excessive uh, risk concentration. We kind of know this, and we've experienced it, or we've seen our friends 
get thrown under a bus by Amazon in various different exciting ways. You know, got products on a boat from China, maybe you've got a container, maybe even more. And then they suddenly say, oh, you cannot ship our stuff in. They've shut down listings, etc. all the nasties. Mm -hmm. But I think that... Um, what puts us off sometimes is because we're dealing with the short-term pain of Amazon and the short-term pain of building a website. And I guess in the yeah. short-term pain, building a website is going to lose because it's work, isn't it? But I, I couldn't agree more. I think that third-party platform risk as a general thing is underrated. A lot of people build a Shopify site and then they um, get traffic from Google. Well, you're still exposed to third-party risk. And I sure. think that in the end, whatever you own yourself, as you say, the domain name, you probably get a trademark and then you legally own that literally. And the data, I think, is, you know, the critical thing, isn't it? In the end, what Amazon, what makes Amazon or Google geniuses is the data and their ability to process it, I think. So th those are great reasons. And I would just underscore that sort of from the negative point of view, if you don't get this right, I don't think Amazon's are getting any nasty in terms of suspensions and stuff, but it's certainly less and less interested in small players because yeah. it's a nightmare for them to manage six million sellers. And I think also that the only way they're going to monetize the whole business is to simply keep putting the ad price costs up. And that just means profitability is going to plunge. It's, it's going to be pay to play just as Facebook is now and you didn't used to be, just as Google is and didn't used to be Instagram. It's a common pattern. So I think from the Amazon seller perspective, and when he works with Amazon sellers, I would just say, anyone listening, now is the time. Don't, don't wait. So having yeah. said that, we got to do it. Let's talk about this wonderful six-part framework you've got. But first, we ought to give a little bit of a flavor that you're a sort of reformed Amazon seller. Tell us a little bit about your <laughs> background there. What what happened? How come you sold on Amazon and you're now not? A reformed Amazon seller. Yeah, no, we had we had a, a unique opportunity a few years ago to sell products to Amazon directly, which we did. And we did that through Vendor Central. And we had an awesome guy, actually, that we dealt with Amazon. He was such a cool guy really super helpful, got on very well. And then as with all things, Amazon personnel change. Uh, and when personnel changes, you, they don't maintain the history, do they? And so things changed for us, I'd, I'd, I'd say on Amazon to the point where it became untenable. And so we were just like, no, no, we're not doing this anymore. This is this is beyond crazy what they're trying to do. And so, and so what started out well, didn't end up particularly well, but I, I do have to say hats off to Amazon for what they've built. I mean, they, you know, they're not, you know, they're not unclever in what they're doing. And I, I learned a lot actually from from the year that we worked with them. But yeah, it was it was an interesting relationship. Let's just put it that way. It was interesting, and I would not be doing it again. <laughs> okay, good. So we'll, we'll we'll sort of gloss over some of those details. Although I think it may be something we're going to talk in another sort of separate segment about being, as you put it, the digital David to the Amazon Goliath. I really like that image. I mean, it's what sort of resonates very well with what we like to think of ourselves as entrepreneurs, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Brave souls fighting a war. Taking on, yes. Yeah. Taking on so the monsters. We'll, yeah, yeah. We, we will revisit the, the monster, the, the Goliath, certainly in size, even if not in attitude, that, that is Amazon. But let's get to your six-part framework, which is a nice, simple-sounding number for creating a direct-to-consumer website. So over to you. I'm just going to sort of interfere and ask dumb questions, but you're, yeah. it's your framework. So let's start with... <laughs> What's the first part of the question of the, the well, framework? No, yeah, no question is ever done, right? It's just all questions are good questions. No, it's just one of these things over the years, having built a lot of websites and, and coached a lot of people through the whole website thing, I started to see there were these six key elements that you needed to to sort of have a good bash at if you were going to have any chance of creating a successful e-commerce website. And I, it took me a little while to realize this, but the first place you start is not actually the website, as, as interesting or as odd as that might sound. So, 
you know, most e-commerce businesses, D2C, let's, let's call them D2C. So most D2C e-commerce businesses have failed. And they come to me and they ask for help. They're like, this is my website. Why is it not selling? And they focused all their attention on getting that website you know, up and running and beautiful. And they think they need this gadget, gadget or whatever on the website, but no one's buying anything. And in fact, if you're a Shopify owner, it's the most common complaint I hear. You know, I've got a website, I've even got a bit of traffic, but I'm not generating any sales. And I, and we realized actually over doing this, that over the years doing this, the first place you always start with any e-commerce business is, is product. Branding and product, the two key elements, they're like two sides of the same coin, uh, if that makes sense. And so by product, I mean, fundamentally, you've got to have a product that people want to buy, right? If if people don't want to buy it, I don't care how good your website is. I don't care how good your marketing copy is. I don't care about how much traffic you send to it. People just won't buy it fundamentally, right? No one's really making a killing selling fidget spinners online, right? Because people don't want to buy them anymore. And I could create the best website in the world, but it's not going to necessarily help me. So we always start out with products and we always start with branding, two, two sides to the same coin, you know, and branding is quite an interesting story. It's quite a, an interesting concept and how that works, you know, the tone of voice, the colors, the, 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 the values behind the brand. I think People want that now, especially people that don't want to shop on Amazon. They want to know who you are. They want authenticity. They want transparency. And you bring all that into your branding and your product, you're onto a really good start. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the that's the first one. Yeah. And, and I think it's good to revisit the really basic thing. I, I think a lot of the time, I don't know about you, Matt, but I often find that if I'm trying to sort out a business, including my own, that, that when it's going wrong is what I forget to remember what it feels like to be a consumer. And as a consumer, if I go shopping online, I, I don't particularly like shopping, but I kind of like buying stuff and I say like getting stuff delivered and getting to use it. And what I want is a product. <laughs> if I enjoy the experience, then that's quite nice, but that wouldn't pull me back. Now, some people love retail as a kind of hobby and they like experience. That's a different type of consumer. But yeah, yeah uh, it comes down to is the product good? Yes or no. And, and equally, <clears throat> particularly in the harsh Amazon world where you got reviews instantly, but any kind of review type feedback situation, i.e. the internet is one big feedback machine, even if you don't see it, right? If somebody's talking about mm -hmm. your products on Facebook to their friends, you may not see it. That doesn't mean it's not happening. Then having a bad product is just inviting a lot of um, bad publicity to go around. So I'm glad that you've you know nailed that one up front. The other thing that's interesting to me is this. A lot of the time when I see something that looks pretty strange, like I've got somebody's just got in touch with me and I'm not going to give his exact website name because I'm going to be rude about it. But it's basically something like reallyinterestingproductscompany.com. And that's kind of you know, that calls out no specific consumer in the entire planet. And I'm immediately mm. thinking, wow, okay, has this person got a target customer avatar? Have they got a kind of focus? Have they thought about sellability of the business as a sort of unified logical whole? Mm. And I think my answer in that case is probably no, just based on the domain name. So tell me a bit about what are the sort of classic mistakes you see in the, the area of even branding is too specific, like sort of branding plus product. As you said, two sides of the same coin, the sort of identity of a business. What, what are the classic mistakes you see there and what are the solutions to those? Uh, the classic one for me is people that will go to a website like AliExpress, for example, which is the, the, the most common example. And they'll go into AliExpress uh, or Alibaba and they'll find a product which they think, oh, I could sell that. 
no research, no thinking behind it. And it's it's a topical thing at the moment. So I'm just going to choose sunglasses as an example, right? You can go onto that website, AliExpress, you can find sunglasses for like one or two bucks a piece. And you think I'll sell those for 20 bucks online, right? So, and I can drop ship them. I don't even have to hold stock. This is awesome. So you, in effect, plagiarize everything that that uh, company has done. You take all their images, you take all of their copy, and you put it on your website. And here's the thing. All of a sudden, you are now like 20,000 other websites, all who had the same idea that day to put those sunglasses online, all of whom can't be bothered to do their own images, all of whom can't be bothered to do video reviews, all of whom can't be bothered to re- write the product copy so that it makes sense for your target market, right? Whoever you're aiming at. And this is, this is for me, the classic example. I see this all the time on a lot of websites. And in fact, we've done it and still do it in some respects on some of the products we sell on our websites. We just literally take the information from the supplier and we put it online. We don't think about that information in relation to who our customers are because well, that requires effort, as we talked about at the start, right? It's going to require a little bit of work. I don't want to do that. No, thank you. And so we just copy and paste. Um, and for me, if you were then going to color grade that website, 99% of the websites on the internet would fall into this beige color. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're, they're all like copy and paste uh, of each other. So you're not going to hit the Google search engine algorithm. People are going to, if you get people coming to your website, they're not going to be inspired to buy uh, they're just going to get off. And so so that's probably the most critical or most common mistake that I see people doing all the time. Yeah. And it's interesting that the kind of look and feel of the site, as you talked about, it kind of feels like the problem. And I suppose you could look at it literally and say, hmm, boring name, as I've just been rude about, like the most generic name ever. I, you know, I, there's literally a, a real example. I've just changed the names to protect the innocent. So it kind of surprises me that, and this person has been in business several years. So it happens all the time, right? And they're somehow managing, but I'm like, wow, this person could do a heck of a lot better if they owned it. I'm just saying that, yeah. but the, the other thing, but to come back to your comment, but then the, the immediate surface level thinking is, oh, my website's beige. If I make my website beautiful, that will solve the answer. And I guess what we're, we're both circling around is like, you kind of need to have somebody you're actually trying to serve. So tell me a little bit about that, that part of it, the sort of thing behind the thing. So, okay, there's a product and there's a brand. But that implies the, the missing third piece, which is the person who's buying, right? So tell me how you go about making that part of the business better with, with your clients or indeed in your Yeah, business. one of the things that we do, I, I, I'm, I'm a simple guy, right? So, I, I, and I, I like simple things. And for me, I have a keynote document, okay? So if I'm ever starting an e-commerce business, I have a keynote document. And I am literally thinking about who is the target audience? Who, are we, who am I trying to reach? And I'll go through Google Images, through Pinterest, through iStock, all those kind of photo places. And I'm going to look at images which relate to my target audience. Okay. And I'm going to put them in a keynote document. So I'm going to get images of them. I want to understand, I ask questions like what clothes do they wear? What places do they go visit? Where do they eat out? Do they eat out? What kind of house do they live in? What kind of furnishings do they have in their house? Not because any of that information is going to go on the website, but what that's doing is that's putting me into the mind of the consumer. Do you see what I mean? That, that makes then a lot of sense to me. So I was... Um, and I spend a lot of time doing, and this is why I like just the images because it's simple. And I can tell you the story of our consumer from 10 pages of images uh, on Keynote around those key areas. We can build that image up and we can go, right, 
So this person uh, is typically male. He's 35. He wears T-shirts, jeans, drinks in coffee shops. He likes to journal. And, and I pull all of this information out just from the images which resonate there. So guess what I'm going to do? If that's my target audience, right, I'm going to go find out what colors resonate, what kind of signage appears on the shops, you know, that they shop at. Uh, I'm going to look at colors. I'm going to look at logos. And I'm going to look at all those kind of things to build up a picture of that customer. And that's going to be the look and feel then of everything that I do online. So you take one of my beauty websites at the moment. For the, the longest time, for about 10 years, that website, I actually did all the design work for it. And it wasn't, maybe it wasn't 10 years, maybe it was about six, seven years ago. I had this brain fart for want of a better expression. And I realized quite quickly, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I designing this website? I am a man. (laughs) My target audience is 97% female, right? So I contacted a design agency that was owned by a friend of mine over in Dallas, Texas, and I said to him, listen, you've got some great female designers there. I need them to design the website. It's like, what do you mean you need them to design your website? Your website's fine. I'm like, no, it's been designed by a fella. I need to change this to make sure it connects with my audience. And it and the design then came out radically different to what we had. And guess what? Engagement goes up. Repeat business goes up. All these little subtle things that sort of take place. So, yeah, I appreciate that's probably a slightly long answer to your question. This is how we... Uh, get into you know the minds of the consumer how we how, how do we understand who they are for me it just starts out with a keynote document and google images that's a fantastic answer i love detail i mean I, I just think a lot of the time and if i may say to our american cousins who have many many virtues in, and one of which is not necessarily detail and then there's an art to detail like do this and then click on this which is like stupefyingly too too specific versus oh just do this i think that's a really nice blend because that's very doable but it's very specific and i think that's a doable and specific a a magic words for me i I really like that I, i think i would say this that the whole thing of just if you are reselling other people's products and i've got a you know i've had clients who've done several million pounds a year for a long time who are reselling other products and they're using the ready many images and suppliers i don't blame them they've got hundreds and hundreds of product lines to deal with nevertheless it's striking how unattractive and how un unfocused on anyway it's not even unattractive to a particular person it's just they haven't even thought about attracting a particular person so mm-hmm. the opposite and, and really mentally connecting i guess it's the skill of empathy at a professional level right so it's yeah. understanding what it feels like to be in somebody else's world and then creating stuff that will attract that person is it's kind of marketing 101 but it's very much present by its absence and people who are otherwise very very sophisticated operators i'm always surprised so i think it's one of those things that i don't care where you sell even if it's 100 percent on amazon Doing that exercise sounds really, really powerful to me. Okay, so look, we're sort of inching away towards the website. So the website's the next thing. Yep. Tell me more about it. So obviously you've understood the consumer, you've got the product nailed, you've got the branding idea nailed. Presumably what you're saying is you you need to nail the branding elements before you even start building a website. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. and let me just define branding a little bit because for yeah, me, branding do. includes the persona definition, understanding who my target customer is. Okay, and once I understand who the product that I'm selling, I know it's a product that's in demand. I know who I'm selling it to. I know the kind of things that they like. Guess what? I can build a website that makes sense for my customer which is always better than a website, which I really like (laughs) in the sense that typically most people go to Shopify, they'll sign up to Shopify and then they'll go shopping through the templates. 
And it's like, well, that one's free or that one's 108 bucks. But I do like how that one does that. That's really nice. Not thinking once about your customer. It's just totally based on what you like and what appeals to you. And you know what? You might not be your target customer. Like I'm not my target customer on the beauty website. I would never have designed the site that we have now. Right. But that's okay. And so it's that's why it's important to understand your product and your brand before you go and start creating the website, you know, phase one and then phase two. And so, yeah, get onto the website, but build it for your customer, not for what you like. It's a fundamental principle. Yeah, totally agree with that one. I'm, I've been working with a client and to be fair, not off Amazon, but we're creating off Amazon elements before he even launches on Amazon, partly just to be able to, because he wants to get a relatively high price point for the sort of item he's selling in, in kitchenware that is typically 20, 30 pounds and he wants to sell for 40, 50, that kind of range. And so I said, look, people are going to Google it for that sort of money. And, and what I want is beautiful branding that turns up that appeals to the customer. And again and again, we've had the conversation where he'll, you know, very respectfully say to me as the coach, well, what do you think? I said, well, okay, I'm kind of in your consumer market but what really matters is the people that you've got who are friends of yours who buy this kind of product go talk to them and he's, he's got a sort of little sort of kind of sounding board i would say focus group is a very dodgy thing but kind of uh, you know mm. a sounding board group of people i say look the acid test is not what i think not what you think but what they think that they get the deciding vote it's not like we have no input but yeah and, and i think that's a very rational way to build something and actually really emotionally hard to do when you look at something you don't particularly like it but somebody else really does and that puts someone who's in your target market. I've found it takes quite a lot of emotional discipline to go, well, it doesn't matter what I think about it. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've yeah. struggled with as well on your clients? Or is oh, it, most of them yeah. are just like, it's no. something I've struggled with personally. I mean, a case in point, I'm involved in a, a brand of products. We sell vitamins and um, supplements, food supplements. And they're very niche. They're vegan for the vegan vegetarian market, although we're branching out much more to the sustainable model now. Uh, and we've we've redefined our demographic a, a little bit here. So by redefining our demographic, we were like, we really need to think about our branding. So going back to branding, we were looking at branding. And we have this wonderful lady called Lindsay who's involved. She's a beautiful lady who's done some great work. And the first concept she came up with, I was like, I really, really like that. But then I, I looked at the document that we my keynote document with all the images that I had of my target market. And I'm like, but nothing I see in that target market tells me that they're going to like that. Right. And so as much as I like it, as much as I want to run with this, I'm like, hang on a minute, let's think about who I, now it may resonate with our target market. It may not, but I need to go and find out as much as I, and I, don't get me wrong, I thought what she did first time was brilliant. I'm like, wow, first time home run, let's do this. But no, we've had to sort of curtail that. So yeah, it's not just clients that struggle with it. It's me, you know, to to have the capacity to go, hang on a minute, I just don't see this in anything that resonates with my target audience is, is quite, uh, quite a difficult thing to do. It reminds me of the phrase by one of a writer whose name escapes me, which is kill your darlings. In other words, you need to cut out anything that doesn't add to the plot or, you know, doesn't doesn't really, you yeah. know, make the film work or the book work. Or in this case, there's the brand story, if you will use that. And I've, I've just been exploring with another lovely guest recently, an American lady who was talking about story brand. And I've just been going through that myself and mm. as a prelude to oh, the my, Don Miller thing. Yeah, which which yeah, I great. really like because it yeah. forces you to think in terms of 
empathy and uh, mm-hmm. customer journey. It's just a different take from somebody who had a screenwriter background on the same yeah. kinds of things you're saying. And I guess that that writer phrase, kill your darlings, or that discipline of a lot of stuff ends up on the cutting room floor in a Hollywood studio, and the result is what they call the the, the you know the, the final cut for a good reason. Yeah. So the cutting things, even though you spent, even though, and this is the emotional discipline, isn't it? Spent time, money, effort on it, and you really like the person who's done it. That's really hard. <laughs> so you you were just articulating that. So tell me more. So I'm sort of car crossing your your lovely framework a bit. So no, so no, element no. one was product and branding, which includes, as you said, which I really like. The branding includes the person, really defining persona in a very sort of what's the word? Emotionally simple, understandable, concrete way with images. I really like that. Yeah. And then the website. So we've we've let go of our personal tastes. What are the sort of next steps with the website? Creation? So you've got to you've got to obviously make the website work for your client, which means you need to. And people say to you all the time, or you know, what platform should I use? Should I use this, or should should I use Shopify? Should I use Magento? Should I build my own? Should I what should I do? Uh, and the answer is very simple: What works for your customer, right? What resonates for your customer? Do that. If your customers are young, vibrant kind of people, they're not going to vibe with with some of the old style WordPress sites. They're just not going to, right? And you may have been using WordPress for 10, 15 years, but that doesn't mean that that's actually going to resonate with your target audience. So again, think about what works for them and choose a platform that one works for your customer, but two, you can actually use. And I I don't think it's a case of one platform is best for everybody. Most of them have got free trials. Go and have a play and see which one works for your business you know for me i've in the past i've used shopify sites i thought they were a great starter platform but we over the years just developed our own e-commerce platform because i needed something you know to do stuff the way i wanted to do it i'm a slight control freak i'm not going to like so i wanted to make sure that we that you know the platform did what we needed it to do and so but that makes sense for us and that makes sense for our customer base so You've got to invest in the platform that works for you and what you need to do. For example, on the beauty web, we offer samples, free samples. So you buy some beauty products, you can get free samples. We wanted to replicate, you know, the department store feel. And so we would then want to take it a stage further and say, actually, customers could choose their free samples that they got. Well, that programmatically would have been an absolute nightmare if I was on, say, the Shopify platform. But because we were on our own platform made sense, that kind of helps me decide which way I need to go because I understood the features that I needed for my for my target audience. So invest a bit of time and energy in getting the website right, because if you don't, it will cost you thousands in terms mm. of mistakes later. So don't always go for the cheapest. Don't always go for the most expensive. Go for the one that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of common sense. And again, a, 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 another sort of, how can I put it? What I don't know how to put it, sort of generally strategic level mistake in any business ever is just doing something because it's there as opposed to thinking about what am I trying to achieve and then finding the tools that enable you to achieve the end. It's very easy to say that, but it's very easy to do the other thing. And I, I guess like, it's another quote. I seem to be quoting things today. Dan Kennedy, that the great uh, inter- yeah, marketer yeah. or pre-internet really, said yeah when you get in the swamp you you got in to get to the other side but all you're conscious of is the alligators in the swamp so when you're sitting there and you've got product on the way from wherever or you've got money to burn or your wife is giving you a hard time or your husband and (laughs) you know there are various pressures that make you think oh let's just get this done okay click click oh that looks beautiful okay done and i I, I totally sympathize with anyone who's done that and i've done plenty of that myself so i guess what we're saying is that you just have to have the discipline to, to sort of stick to what makes sense 
you know, starting with what, and I also like the the fact that you've articulated better than anyone else I've spoken to about this product, that you've got to have it make sense for you and your consumer, not either or. And that's, Mm -hmm. I guess, actually kind of going to simplify the decision, right? Because in the end, if what you just said is they're young and vibrant, they won't vibe with an old school website, then I guess they get the casting vote, right? I, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? If you've got a working website, it's a little bit clunky but you really don't want to change over is that a is that a it's a very general question but is that how do you approach that kind of situation exactly the same way i've worked okay. with organizations i can tell you the story i won't tell you their names i can tell you the stories of two companies recently who upgraded their websites right one guy spent six grand on his website worked perfectly and thought right my business is growing we're turning over a couple of million i need to upgrade it because you can't run a two million pound business on a six grand website so he spent one hundred and twenty thousand pounds getting his website upgraded with a high class magento agency actually and they were very recommended launched his website literally overnight his business collapses right i mean it almost halves and and that's when i get called in uh, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I have some conversations around this. Eventually what happens is he goes back to a £6,000 website platform uh, and has to rebuild his business. Now, the rule, I'm not, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's because of Magento or necessarily because of the agency. I'm saying there's a lot of mitigating factors into why that didn't work for him. And a lot of stuff went very wrong because it wasn't, it wasn't spec'd, it wasn't thought about from the consumer. They were changing the way that you know, regular customers were going to have to do things without explaining it clearly on the website. There was a whole bunch of stuff that went fundamentally wrong. Now, we've all been around a supermarket, you know, and we all we all kind of get used to where things are in the supermarket. And then when the supermarket changes that for no apparent reason, you know you're going to spend twice as long in the supermarket trying to find stuff that you, you used to know where it was. And it's 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 deeply frustrating. So if you've built a system that customers are used to using and you've got a good repeat customer base, you have to be very careful when you upgrade the website. Conversely, if you've got an old clunky system and you look at your Google Analytics and you find out 60% of your customers are coming on a mobile device and you yourself has never purchased anything off your website on a mobile device or you've never watched your ideal customer purchase something off you on a mobile device, you need to go walk over to a mirror, look in it and give yourself a good slap because it's a mistake that is fundamental. Do you see what I mean? And it's like, okay, so I'm going to pick up my phone. I'm going to try and buy something off my website. What are the problems I'm experiencing here? And I would be buying stuff off my website. I'll be buying stuff off my competitor's website. And I'll be doing that probably twice a month just to see what the experience is like and figuring out ways to improve it. Brilliant. And that really brings us back down to that that fundamental thing that you've touched on. And I like the fact you're keeping it simple, that, that there's a kind of sophistication and simplicity of the right kind, I think. And, and certainly I'm getting that. And that is remembering to act like a consumer, <laughs> but on your own website, right? Because we, we just get so locked into the roles. There's consumer on one side bitching to us and we have a consumer as a provider of money and that's great. And then the consumer is a provider of where's my product type messages. And then that's horrible. But we don't remember that we're also consumers. And I guess the other thing you've just said is it's a lack of empathy and not in the sense of sort of bleeding heart kind of old tissues out and and their dear kind of empathy, but the kind of ability to think from somebody else's shoes. As I think it's Seth Godin said in one of his recent books that an amateur marketer sells to somebody like themselves. And I said, that's not a bad idea because you're least likely to get it right. Whereas a professional marketer will have the empathy as I think the term he used, to be able to imagine somebody completely unlike themselves. And I think what you just put your finger on that, that if you never shop on a mobile and your consumers do, 
to keep plowing on despite that disconnect is is just it's, it's a sort of emotional intelligence issue isn't it i would say not yeah, a technical is. one yeah very very interesting okay and, and yes i hear you on the supermarket thing i mean i hate shopping in supermarkets anyway but when they change the layout i'm like i'm really really cross so Freaks i totally get you yeah. on that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no you can hear the other because the customers now yeah uh, i think you know but we do it on the websites all the time and we we really need to be careful of that that is interesting, actually. Uh, whenever I do coaching with clients, I always like taking on a new coaching gig because the first, one of the first things I say to the client is, just so you know, this part of the budget here is is basically me buying from your competitors' websites. And so I'll, I want to know who their top three, top six competitors are, depending on what they're selling. And I will literally go and buy from every website and we'll look at the products, how they come, we'll return to the products, look at their returns process, what was the buying experience like, and so on and so forth. I think you should be doing that for your own website, for your own product. Yeah, that's a super, a super idea. Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the 10K Collective podcast, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Now, obviously, today we're not talking about Amazon, but that is an aspiration or a reality that a lot of people have who sell on Amazon if they're selling private label products or their own custom products is to create that direct-to-consumer site that actually works and gives you the control and builds your brand instead of helping Amazon have control. So I hope you've enjoyed today's uh, conversation with Matt. Obviously, he's been in the business two decades, so seriously experienced. And I think he's got a nice knack of keeping it you know, quite simple whilst also, in a way, the sophistication that comes from years of doing it and knowing what matters what doesn't so this six-part framework that uh, we are discussing with matt i think is a very very helpful framework for you to think through and in fact even if you're selling purely on amazon the more you are serious about building a brand the more you've got to think about those brand building elements some of which you cannot action so easily on amazon but i think the more you've thought through the customer avatar side the brand and product development being linked to what your customer avatar needs, the better quality your business is going to be if you're just purely focused on Amazon, never mind if you also want to then develop off Amazon over time. So if you want to hear more from Matt or possibly even consider getting some coaching from him, if you go to amazingfba.com forward slash Edmundson, that's E-D-M-U-N-D-S-O-N, then we will get you uh, hooked up with Matt and uh, listen out for the next couple of episodes that we are building with Matt as well, because there's a lot that goes into this. But I think Matt, as I say, has got a nice handle on this. We don't bring in uh, Shopify or direct-to-consumer focused people that often, but we're increasingly bringing them in gradually. And that's by design, because that reflects the needs of the six, seven and eight figure sellers that I work with in the masterminds and most of whom are building their own direct-to-consumer site quite vigorously because they really want to de-risk the Amazon side of the business and also get that contact with customers and that ability to really build a brand in close connection with your customers that you can have. So even if it's not something you're doing now, I'd urge you to listen up to these episodes as really excellent sort of general brand building advice in the direct-to-consumer space. Hope it was helpful. And as ever, if you are loving the podcast, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. 
I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.